good to be with you this morning. Happy Father's Day to any of the fathers that are in here today. Yeah, let's give them a quick hand. Uh, congrats for you guys and uh, hope you get to, to do what you want to do today. I mean, come on, that's kind of a good thing, isn't it? I know I'm going to go take a nap, so that's going to be my, one of my things for sure. I'm going to do that. Hey, we are in our road trip series, as you heard Spencer mentioned. And, and one of the things that's been really fun is, is being able to see some of the pictures. We've, we've asked you, as you go on a road trip this this summer, to post a picture when you go. I mean, and, and, and tag it with N Hills Road Trip. And we've been able to see a few of those um, out there as, as people post them on Facebook or on Instagram. It's just been fun to be able to see there. And, and the thing is, it's kind of fun. We want to be able to experience your road trip with you. And we also probably want to be a little bit jealous at times too. So if you've gone to really any cool place, in fact, if anyone's planning on going to Hawaii, let me know I'm all ready to go. So uh, I'll just jump in the bag with you and we'll, we'll head out. Uh, but here's, yeah, it's been really fun. The series has been really great as we've been following Jesus along his travels and where he's been going. And in week one, we saw him go to a wedding in Cana. And last week he went to the week, uh, or went to the um, uh, to, to lake. And this week he's actually headed to the beach. So we're going to spend some time div- diving into that. So who here loves going to the beach? I mean, I, it's, you're kind of like most people like at least, okay, that's, that's a pretty good thing. Anybody have plans this summer or maybe even already this year? Have anyone's gone to the beach yet this year in plans? Where are you going? Just shout it out. Florida? Disney World. Disney World. Where else? Virginia Beach. All right. That sounds great. We love going to the beach. Well, I, I'm glad that my wife's not here. She's actually down in Arizona um, with her mom right now. And, and um, if she would hear all these places to going, she'd be like, oh, I want to go there. And I want to go there. I want to go there. Because her favorite place is going to the beach. She loves to go to the beach. In fact, probably most of our major trips that we've taken as a couple or as a family has revolved around a, a trip to the beach. Like for our honeymoon, we went to a beach and we've gone for a 10-year anniversary. We're planning another trip um, for our third year uh, that's coming up here soon, and, and we're going to be going to a beach. I mean, that's just kind of like the things that we do. But one of the things that we love to do when we go to the beach is to have dinner on the beach. It's just one of those things. I don't know if it's the, the places that we've gone or just that we're there, but the, the fresh fish that we've had and, and just the, the beautiful scenery, the sunsets, all kinds of different things that go into making that experience such a great experience. And for our road trip today with Jesus, it's not dinner on the beach that we find Jesus having with his disciples, but instead it's breakfast on the beach. See, we're going to spend some time focusing on this interaction between Jesus and, and Peter on this beach. But before, before we go on, I think we, it'd be really good for us to spend some time and give a little background to where we are. Because what we're going to be talking about takes place after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But before that, Jesus had been doing his, his ministry and, and the disciples have been following him all over the place. And there have been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of highs and lows when it comes to following Jesus and being with him. And Peter himself had a bunch of highs and lows just specifically himself. He had the high of seeing Jesus perform miracles. I mean, what a, a blessing just to be able to see and just be in awe of Jesus as he was performing all these different miracles in different places. He had the high, like we talked about even last week, of the high of walking on water. I mean, to be able to walk on water because Jesus is, is saying, hey, come, come to me, and being able to do that. And on the flip side, flipping right after that, he's also experienced some lows, the low of sinking when he realized where he was and that he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. He had the lows of, of, of Peter really falling asleep when, when Jesus specifically said to him, hey, I need you to be praying for me. I need you to, to stay awake. And Jesus, and, and Peter falls asleep. And there's a time also when Jesus tells all the disciples, he says, hey, I'm going to be taken away and you guys are going are to run from me. 
And Peter steps up and says, hey, hey Jesus, I don't know about those guys. I mean, those guys, I, I can't say, for, but for me, that's not going to happen. I've got your back, Jesus. I'm never, I will never run away from you. And then to have Jesus right after that tell him, hey, before the night is over, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I'm sure in that moment, Peter listening to that and hearing that, thinking, there's no way. There's no way, Jesus. I've got your back. But, but what happens? Jesus is arrested, and it starts to set all these things in order. And, and Peter starts to follow him as he's, as he's being taken away. And, and there's a, a, a servant girl that asks him, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? And, and Peter responds and says, no, I, I'm not. He goes a little bit further, and, and someone else asks him, hey, aren't you one of those guys? Aren't you, aren't you one of those that are following Jesus? He goes, no, no, not me, not me. And finally, a third time, someone yells, hey, didn't I see you in the garden? I mean, you, you kind of even have an accent. You're, surely you're one of those disciples. Peter denies it a third time. I don't know the man. And then what happens? The rooster crowed, and it hit Peter what Jesus had said to him earlier and what he had done. And Peter wept. He wept. The Bible says that he wept bitterly. This had to be so defeating to Peter. He knew that he had messed up. He knew that he had failed Jesus. I wonder, is there ever time in your life like you have felt like a failure? Feel like you've messed up, like you just can't do anything right? Maybe it was a, an interaction with a close friend and, and something got messed up in that interaction and it still messed up the relationship even till today. Maybe it was a mistake that you made in your marriage and has caused division and, and mistrust in your marriage. Maybe it was the fact that you were following Christ with your whole heart and everything was going so well until it wasn't. And then somehow something quenched your fire, something distracted you, something happened and allowed fear to overtake you and for, to get you in the spot of questioning, gosh, is it really worth following Jesus? Or should I just go back to what I knew before Jesus? Should I just go back to that? We all experienced failure. For me, one of the times came for me when I, when I left a position as executive pastor at a church that, that started called Jacob's Well. Let me give you a, a little bit of background. Um, I'm a driven person. Um, I was, when I was younger, I was even more the case. And I graduated from college, and, and I went to work for Nike. And I, I worked for there for a year, and I got promoted into a management position. And about a year after that, I left and went into the pharmaceutical industry. And, and I, I got promoted and got several different positions. I had five different sales positions as I tried to climb and do different things to, to get more experience, to get myself positioned in a place to take another job. And then I got a, the job that I was looking for as regional operations manager um, at, at, at the pharmaceutical company there in Chicago. And all along I had, I had decided and I just had thought, man, I just had, had this feeling that was kind of over me that just like God had something big planned for my life. And I always thought that that was someday that I would lead a corporation. I thought that's where I was going, about what I was going to do. So everything I did, I tried to take opportunities to help me gain that experience to, to climb that corporate ladder. And then one day, a friend of mine, who was the lead pastor at the church I was going to, asked me to move with him to Colorado to plant a church. In a series of events that I, I won't get into, I really believe that that ended up being the big thing that God had for me. I really, I really felt like, no, oh gosh, this is really what you wanted for me, Lord. So we left everything I knew as far as a career and moved out here to start Jacob's Well. 
Fast forward about five years later, I found myself in a situation that I had to step down from my position um, due to lack of funding and, and really the need for me to be able to support my family. We hadn't had enough money to be able to support the staff members that we had, so I, I left and went back into the marketplace. And it was through this experience that was one of the hardest times in my life. I'd felt that I had left what I knew what to do. I'd felt like I had left what I had found success in to follow what I felt was a call on my life to help plant this church with great dreams of continued success as more and more people would come in and more and more people would know Jesus. I felt like I failed. I felt like I failed the, the church I felt like I failed those that I, I came out to from Chicago to, to start the church. I felt like I failed those that had come to the church and that I'd built in my, into their lives. I felt like I failed them. And I felt like I failed my own family by not being able to provide for them in a decent way. I felt like a failure. And now here I was, leaving what I thought I was called to and called to do. And I, and I was like, well, what now? What do I do now? And I think that's where Peter might have been and where we pick up the story in John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to, to John chapter 21. If you need a Bible, we've got some here for you. And if you need one online, man, we would love to get one to you. Let us know. But here in, this, in, in John chapter 21, we see Peter and the disciples, they were, they were trying to figure out what to do after the death of Jesus. See, Jesus had appeared to them a couple times, but now their leader, the one that was telling them where to go and those leading them and providing them the inspiration, was leaving and he would be gone forever. And they're trying to figure out, well, what do we do now? I'm guessing Peter, um, even though he had left fishing and he'd followed Jesus for three years, I'm guessing after the denial, he probably felt like, man, I failed. I'm useless to God. I, I can't be used by God. I can't do anything. So, so I'm going to go back to what I'm familiar with. And so Jesus tells the other disciples, he goes, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. The other disciples go, oh, hey, we're, we're going to go with you. So they all get in a boat and they head out to go fishing. And they fish all night long and all night long. And they catch nothing, not a thing. The Bible tells us at dawn, they see a man standing on the shore. And, and the man was far enough away that they couldn't exactly see who he was, but they could hear him. And the man shouts out to them and said, hey, guys, have you, have you caught any fish? I can't imagine they were probably very happy about that. I mean, they're probably a little miffed at this guy, you know, thinking, who is this guy? What, what is he saying? But they reply with a simple, no, no. The guy yells back at them, hey, throw your nets on the other side and surely you'll have some. And you could be thinking, are you kidding me? Now, I don't know about you, but in those situations, I, I, I see those things and maybe something that you're doing or, or you're fixing and you know how to do it. Someone comes and tells you something like really obvious. Like if you're working on a computer and you're trying to get your computer to, to go back to work and, and people say, hey, have you like tried to power it off and back on? I'm like, yes, that's the first thing that I do. Of course, I've tried that. So you hear them saying this and you're thinking, man, these guys are thinking, okay, buddy, seriously, we are the fishermen. We are the professionals. You just stay on the shore. You do your thing. There's really nothing for you here. But for me, I probably would have refused to do so. But um, the, guy, the guys on the boats, they, they were like, okay, well, let's go ahead. Let's throw on the other side. And what happens? 
They have so much fish, they can't pull it in. They have so many fish that are just coming in there. It's unbelievable. And when that happened, one of the disciples leaned over to Peter and he'd recognized Jesus. He said, Peter, that's the Lord. Peter, that's Jesus. And Peter immediately recognized him. He threw on his tunic and he jumped in the water and he headed to shore as, as the rest of the disciples brought the boat in and, and brought all the fish in. That's where we pick up things in verse 9. So when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Now that sounds pretty perfect to me. I don't know about you. I mean, just thinking about that, man, just thinking that, that fish, that probably had to be the best fish. We talked about last week where, um, or a couple weeks ago when he, when he turned water into wine and they said that was the best wine they'd ever tasted. I can imagine how fresh and how incredible that fish was that Jesus was preparing for them. So Jesus is getting this fish all prepared. The bread's probably awesome, all incredible. I'm thinking, they're thinking, man, this is really, really good stuff. But I love what Jesus did here. See, I, he didn't, see them out there fishing, and he didn't yell at them. He didn't say, hey, guys, what the heck are you doing? I mean, I spent three years training you on what to do, and you're leaving it all, and you're going back to fishing. Nope, he didn't say that. He didn't get frustrated with them. Instead, he makes them some food. He sits down with them. He eats with them, and he spent some time with them. Now, I would have loved to be in that little circle because I can't imagine some of the laughter and some of the great stories that they probably talked about as their experience over the last three years, to get, three years together as they reminisced about everything. But after they had gotten all done, after they'd eaten, Peter, um, Jesus comes to Peter and pulls him aside and says, hey, let, let's, let's talk. And I'm sure Peter at that moment was like, oh boy, here it comes. Here it comes. Jesus is going to read me the riot act. Jesus is going to condemn me for denying him. He's going to condemn me for failing him. We pick up the conversation in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus says, uh, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And that the, as, the, um, as we look at that first phrase, Simon, do you love me more than these? The question has been asked, well, what did he mean by, by these? And, and scholars have, have, have different opinions on what that is. Some say that he was referring to the disciples. He was asking him if he loved him more than the disciples. Others said he maybe was referring to the fish and the, the act of fishing, that the fact that they went out. And I kind of lean that way a little bit because I'm, I'm kind of in the spot thinking, gosh, you know, he, he, Jesus sees Peter just going out and doing, going back to what he was doing and thinking, man, after all we've been through, after all that's happened, you just go right back. Do you, do you love me more than going back to what you were doing in the past? And so you see his response and Peter says, man, yeah, I know, you know that I love you, Lord. He might be thinking, all right, Jesus, I get it. I, 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 will, I, will, I, will, I will feed your lambs. Verse 16. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Now this sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Peter might be thinking, yeah, Jesus, I get it. I got it the first time you told me. You don't have to tell me again. I will take care of your sheep. But Jesus wasn't done. A third time he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt by that Jesus asked this question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And you're wondering in that time why this happened. And we don't know exactly why Jesus asked him three times, but maybe it had to do with the fact that he had denied him three times. 
And the fact that he was reminding Peter, hey, I know what you did. I know how you denied me. I know you failed, but I forgive you. I know you failed, but I believe in you. I know you failed, but my purpose for you still remains. See, Jesus brought him back to where he started to remind him of who he was before his failure. The failure didn't change who he was, nor did it change who God had designed him to be. I was reminded of this in my own story um, by my friend Dave, who I'd come out here to start the church with. When I'd left that position at the church and I'd, I'd stepped down, I'd actually went back into the marketplace. And at the time, I was in the pharmaceutical industry. And we'd, I remember him getting together before he actually went back to, to do a church in, back in the Chicagoland area. And I remember sitting down with him in a conversation. And Dave reminded me that God wasn't done with me yet. That what happened in the past didn't change who God designed me to be today and who God designed me to be for the future. And that little reminder, that little reminder helped helped my mentality, helped me understand that, ah, God's not done. See, we all experience failure. But the most important thing is how we end up responding to the failures that we experience in our life. See, there was another disciple um, that failed Jesus, and his name was Judas. Judas was the disciple that sold out Jesus to the religious leaders of the day for 30 pieces of silver. So Peter and Judas both failed Jesus. The man that they'd given three years of their life, they'd left everything that they knew, and they'd they'd seen this man perform miracles. They knew that this man was the hope of the world. Peter and Judas both failed Jesus, but their response to their failure took two incredibly different roads. For Judas, he experienced regret, especially when he realized that things were getting a lot more serious than he intended, and he even tried to give the money back. But his response to the failure was so overwhelming in his life that he actually took his own life. For Peter, he experienced regret, but he came back to Jesus and was restored and filled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that even 50 days later, Peter preached a message at the time where 3,000 people came to know Jesus. I mean, how incredible that great response difference. And Peter became to live out his namesake. See, Peter, had, his name had been changed from Simon to Peter, which meant the rock. And Jesus had told him, upon this rock, I will build my church. And that's who Peter became. Two disciples, both failed, but both had completely different endings to their, their story. One with the worst possible ending ever, and the other with an unbelievable redemption story. See, we all fail. We all fall short. But how we respond to that failure is what matters. God offers forgiveness for every single one of us, even after we mess up. And this is not something that's unique to just Peter. Throughout this, the Bible, we see all of our heroes in the faith, the big names of faith, faith, people like Moses and David and Paul. They all failed God, but they all had also had something else in common. They owned their, their failure and sought forgiveness from God. We all fail, right? We all, we all fall short. And failure is really just a part of the sinfulness. But there's three things that failure doesn't do in our life. And that's really where I want to close things out for today. First thing is failure doesn't decrease God's love for you. 
What we see, what do we see the very first thing that Jesus do with the disciples? You don't see him yelling at them when, he's, when, they're, when they're failing and all these different things. No, we see him loving on them. He demonstrated that love for them by cooking them breakfast on the beach. Failure wouldn't decrease God's love for them and failure doesn't decrease God's love for you. And I don't know about you, but that is good news. That is good news. See, God's love It's a bottomless well. It will not run dry. He is the source of true love, of real love. And when you go through your struggles, he knows them and he knows your pain, but God is love and he's gonna help you through and walk with you through whatever you go through, no matter what. Failure doesn't decrease God's love for you. And the second thing that failure doesn't do is that failure doesn't disqualify God's purpose for your life. See, Peter failed. He was unreliable. He was unfaithful. He was quick to call it quits and turn from Jesus. In fact, perhaps he could, not even, he could be seen as someone that was even not worthy to lead. But what did we see here? Well, we, we see Peter stepping in and, and taking a leadership role. See, there's a very good chance that Peter himself even felt that he had fallen short. But that's not how God sees him, and that's not how God sees us. God sees us with a purpose, and he wants to restore us to that purpose. The, dis, uh, the dictionary definition of restoration says this. It's the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. I love that. And despite his failures and falling um, and how Peter fell short, he was not disqualified. No, Peter was restored. He was restored by Jesus to his purpose. In fact, the forgiveness that Peter received was so much transformed the way Peter saw his life and saw the the trials in his life that he wrote this in 1 Peter 4.13. It says, Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing his glory when when, when when it is revealed to all the world. Church, you are going to go through some tough stuff. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through some things. There are going to be some times when you experience failure. But know this. God created you on purpose and for a purpose. He created you on purpose for a purpose. Your failure does not disqualify you from the purpose that God has for your life. And finally, the third thing and the most important thing is that failure doesn't remove God's presence. Failure doesn't remove God's presence. Even though Peter denied him three times, even though he left his calling in, in taking the word of God out, even though he tried to do all of these different things and, and, and even tried to go fishing and had, had failure in his fishing, man, where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus on the shore of the beach. In the midst of all of their failure, Jesus was present and was there to help. And this wasn't just limited to this situation. All throughout the New Testament, we can see stories of where the disciples have gotten into a spot and they've failed and Jesus was there to rescue them. Growing up, we had a plaque on one of our walls. And the plaque was a poem um, that was called Footprints in the Sand. Anybody have anything that, remember that? Yeah. And it's a great little story. And it, it's really, it's about, um, this author wrote about a dream that they had. A dream that they were walking on a beach with Jesus. And there were footprints, two sets of footprints, one of Jesus and, and one of theirs, walking along the way. 
And as they pictured the scene in their mind, the, along the footprints, they saw different scenes of their life playing out along the way. And along the way, they saw some really tough and some really hard scenes of their life. And as they came upon those times, they, they saw only one set of footprints and they were like, what is going on? Jesus, why in the midst of my hardest things, why? would you leave me in the toughest things that are going on? And the author responds with Jesus saying this, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you. Never, ever during your trials and testings. When you only saw one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Church, no matter what you're going through, no matter what trial has come your way, you can know that Jesus' presence will never leave you. He will never abandon you. In fact, he's the one that will carry you. And I know this last year has been tough. It has been a hard year. We've been faced with all sorts of trials all sorts of testings in our lives. And there's probably more, more times that we thought, ah, I failed. I failed. And there may be even some things for in our lives that for even me, as I think through things and going forward, I'm like, ah, what if I fail? What if I, what if I don't carry out what he wants me to carry out? What if I don't live to my fullness of, of the purpose of what he has for my life? We need to know that God always loves you that God always has a purpose for you and it does not go away and God's presence will never, ever leave you. And if you are in a position in your life right now where you think that you have failed so bad that God wants nothing to do with you, when you've failed and you feel like there is no hope left, and maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to tell you that he is waiting on the shore. He's waiting for you to come home. All you need to do is say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your presence. I need your love. I want to know your purpose for my life. And you can know that if you believe that Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins and that he was resurrected three days later. He overcame all of that with the power of God. He overcame it all so that you and I could be restored in purity with the Father. And if you know that, if you put your faith and trust in him, know his presence will be always with you because the Bible says that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's good news. No, Jesus is always there despite the things that are going on in your life. No, you should first and foremost turn to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you just for who you are. And Father, we are so thankful, even on this Father's Day, as we think about the value importance of fathers in our life and how much we love them. Father, we want to lift our praises to you. 
how thankful we are for you, that you would send your one and only son so that you could have a relationship with us, that you loved us that much. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for never leaving us, for always loving us. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would live out the purpose that we have, that you have given our lives. Father, thank you for who you are. I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.